Hey y'all, it's time for some damn good content. I'm Shelby Claymall, your host and business bestie. I'm a content creator, social media manager, and coach, keynote speaker, wife, and a mama of two who ditched her nine to five to build a thriving multi six-figure business solely using social media. Just like you, I'm a working mom and a wife with limited time. So I'm committed to cutting the fluff and delivering tips and fresh ideas straight to your earbuds on how you too can harness damn good content and create that type of business that you love and are proud of. Each week, we'll deep dive into strategy and mindset of building your brand on social media so that your confidence and success in the online space can skyrocket. Get ready to step outside of your comfort zone and start creating some damn good content. Are you ready? Let's freaking get it. I'm so excited. Bailey Henry is here. Okay. Um, everybody, welcome back to Damn Good Content Podcast. And I'm so excited to have my dear friend, Bailey Henry here. She is a freaking gem. We met probably a year and a half ago via Zoom, right? FaceTime, Zoom. Did you come from TikTok or did you come from Instagram? I found you on TikTok, yeah, which, which was insane. And then I'm just an I'm just a diehard Instagram fan. I really am. Like that just feels so cozy to me. TikTok is terrifying. Facebook is old to me. It just you is. It. It's fine. It's out there. So I'm like Instagram DMs sliding in. Shelby, yes. help help me. And you did. And I did. I did. And you, y'all, she's been doing the damn thing. I need you to get, I, I don't, I don't even think like I could do an introduction that gives you justice. I want you to talk about all of it. Cause we're going to talk about your cards, your book, your life. We're getting raw and real and honest with everyone. That's going to motivate them to keep going. Okay. Cause I look at you, I've never been through the journey that you've been through. So I don't, I want you to really as comfortable as you are to put it out there and just like, let people know like what God has put on your heart to, to walk through life with. Yeah. <clears throat> no pressure. Um, so yeah, I'm Bailey Henry. I've always been in the marketing slash interior design background. Um, I've worked for furniture stores. I've worked for home and garden magazines and then all the while, um, which was fun. I love it. I love that field. I'm back in that field now. Um, <clears throat> I started having miscarriages and I wouldn't use the word infertility. I thought it was just a string of bad luck that we were going to get through. And I wasn't, you know, too, too concerned about it. And then it just kept happening. And I've always been an avid reader. I love to read. My computer is propped up on about six books right now. Because so, I don't, you know, whatever. Um, anyways, so I went to Barnes & Noble I think after like my second or third miscarriage and I looked for a very specific book about infertility and all I could find was something that was very medical, the sperm, the egg, what to eat, what not to eat, put your feet over your head. You, you need to get your husband's sperm checked that whole medical camp or the other side was very kind of a woe is me devotional and you need to pray more and forgive people. And then God will give you a baby. And I thought, <clears throat> I, I don't really agree with that. But also the book that I was looking for was very woman focused. I wanted to know about the women who still went on to live a full life and had infertility. 
I want to know about all the dumb stuff that their friends and family and perfect strangers said to them on the internet about them not having babies. I want to know how it affected their marriage, their self-esteem, their sex life, their everything. And I truly could not find one. And I was going through a hard time enough, like we were in the beginning phases of a pandemic. And I truly thought, well, this is it. Like, they're not going to let us leave our house. We're all going to die. And and I'm not going to get to accomplish any of the things that I set out to do. So then I just started to have like a screw it mentality. And I said, if not now, when? If not me, who? I've got four miscarriages under my belt. I could I could share this story. I've always wanted to be a writer. I didn't think it would be so gravely personal and hurtful of a story. But I'm like, I want to read this this type of book about a woman who faces infertility and still has an entire orbit of people around her and the world is still spinning. So I just did it myself and I had medium to low expectations for it. I mean, I self-published did the whole thing myself. I was so blessed with friends who had English backgrounds. They were my editors. I had a friend out in Austin, Texas, who was incredible, um, who just helped me put the entire book together. She's a computer whiz, like completely formatted it. Um, I sketched out the cover of my book. She made it happen with the graphics. And like, I was just so blessed with all these people around me with great talent and resources. And we pulled the whole thing together. And again, self-published, it's done pretty okay. It holds its own on Amazon. And um, yeah, and then and then sadly, I just sort of thought if I give up this big offering of this book, then it'll stop happening. I'll stop having miscarriages, right? <clears throat> and that didn't happen. Um, so I guess I had coffee with a friend a couple weeks ago and I was telling her about this exchange, like someone just says, like, you just keep creating stuff. Like, you're so creative about like infertility. And I'm like, well, shit just keeps happening. And I just, with each miscarriage, stuff just keeps coming. And so out of that has spun a podcast, a miscarriage guide, my book, a line of infertility greeting cards, Um, you know, just keep creating stuff. All the while, my husband and I have adopted our miracle son, and I went back to work, and you just, life keeps going, and you just keep doing and creating things that hopefully make you feel better and make other people feel better, and, you know, you just survive. Doing life. Mm-hmm. So what would, so I want you to go back and tell them a little bit about uh, your story in the sense of like, you would go to the doctor, you'd have a miscarriage, and they had no education yeah. on this. So that's really where your miscarriage guide came from. And because in reality, they just kind of like, don't want to say it like this, but like throw you to the wolves and say, figure it out after it happens. So what yeah. sparked that in the sense of like, okay, well, if there's nothing here, I'm just going to do it. And how hard has it been to kind of showcase and be super vulnerable to people? Yeah, that's been really rough. Um, So I had my sixth miscarriage three weeks before our son moved home. So by the time I did become a mom to a one-year-old precious little boy, um, I was still swollen and bleeding and grieving. And it was just, it was just a mess over here at the Henry house. Um, A a good mess, but a mess. Um, But yeah, I started. So when I had my sixth miscarriage, again, they just sent me home. 
Um, but I had been farther along in that pregnancy. I actually gave birth. I medicated alone because of COVID. And then my husband came back in and it's just, I've gone into detail about that in other interviews and it's just so, so heartbreaking. But one of the healthiest emotions to me is anger and rage because something, I think, if you can control it and navigate your anger and rage, something good comes out of that. Um, that righteous anger kind of fuels me to to make a change. And so they sent me home and told me to eat something because I'd lost a lot of blood and to take Tylenol and to put my feet up. And I went through the full ringer of postpartum, like I had postpartum hair loss and I had, um, you know, the night sweats and I had uh, my, um, they didn't give me a fundal massage. And, and, you know, a lot of women, when they give birth, a nurse will come like 15, 20 minutes later and push your uterus back closed. And it's very painful, but it, it prevents hemorrhaging and it encourages the uterus to, to get back to its normal size. I didn't get that because I, I don't know why. I don't know why I didn't get that. I could sit here and assume it's because they didn't think that I needed one because I didn't give birth to a fully developed baby um, or I wasn't, you know, 40 weeks. Doesn't matter. I didn't get one. And so that evening, um, my husband and I were laying in bed and I went into like full-blown labor pains. And I texted a friend who'd had two children um, and she was like, did they not give you a fundal massage? And I said, girl, what is that? Yeah. I, I had no idea because I'd never made it that far before. And um, she said, you need to do this immediately, like find a way to do this because you could hemorrhage or you will be in labor for like, or phantom labor as your uterus gets back closed, it'll, it'll be very painful. And so my husband YouTubed it at 1 a.m. And he did it for me. And we both just sobbed because we felt so embarrassed, so kicked to the wayside and just very uneducated and uninformed on the postpartum precautions of what I could have needed. And I knew, I mean, that was my sixth miscarriage. I knew that every woman is postpartum after a loss. It doesn't matter if she's 20 weeks. It doesn't matter if she's six weeks, 10, whatever. Her body goes through a horrible process of like your hormones have to level back out. Um, if you're super far along, your milk comes in and there's no child to feed. Like it's horrible, Shelby. It's awful. And so that happened and I just got enraged. And so I, again, if not now, when, if not me, who? So I just wrote a miscarriage guide about like the basics of if your doctor tells you just to take a Tylenol and it's like a heavy period, that is false. That's not true. It's every bit like losing a baby. You will see things. You will feel things. It will feel like labor. Um, it's just a mess. It, it's awful. But the the driving force of that was I've gotten more handouts. You can't tell right now. But when I get Botox, you get a whole pamphlet of like what to do and what not to do. When you order a light fixture from Amazon in seven different languages, it tells you how to install your light fixture. When you adopt a puppy, when you get new tires, when you buy a car, you get a whole owner's manual. But when you lose a child, there's nothing. And it just, it enrages me. And to answer like the second half of your question, it's been hard. I haven't had a super great response, um, especially from the medical community. 
I haven't had like a warm welcome. Um, they think I'm trying to like give medical advice. I'm not. They think I'm trying to like take their job. I'm not. Um, it's been hard. I've tried to get it into like pharmacies, physical therapy office, chiropractor's office, things like that. But anything else like in an actual OBGYN office in my Jackson area, I've had one OBGYN hand them out to patients. That's it. That's so crazy to me because like you said, like, even though, even when you have a baby, they don't really send you home with like postpartum. Like, you know what I mean? Like I had two sections. The second section was way worse than the first section. And so I literally was felt like I was dying. They only give you pain meds and they send you like a little bit of information, but like, don't lift. Well, you're the person that takes care of that baby. Right. So it's really hard in the sense of like, that really sucks. There's really no other word, but it sucks that you already going through the loss. Like you really want to get pregnant and then you get pregnant and then you go through that loss and then they're just like, go home. So from someone that hasn't experienced it, it still gives me chills and I want to cry literally right now. But um, for you to stand strong in the hurt and the pain and still be vulnerable and put out the information for other women to have and the fact that the medical industry just won't take it for you is bullshit. Because you, you, you didn't go to medical school. You don't want their job. You're just a mom that went through this a lot. And now you're giving actual experience from you and what you experienced. And the fact that your husband had to do something for you that your medical provider should have done to you is just mind blowing to me. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's sort of a, a wish wash of like, maybe it's the area that I'm in, you know, on the East coast, they've got like birthing centers that are wonderful that you know, that situation wouldn't have happened in California. I have a friend who has a heartbreaking story of having her stillborn son. She was at a birthing center in San Francisco, had a really picturesque experience as much as you can for that situation. Um, But when I first released the miscarriage guide, it went like a little viral, a little mini viral. I got so many hate comments, so many negative DMs. Um, A woman in Tennessee who is a holistic um, female, you know, hormone, I can't remember her proper title, but she's basically like a holistic OBGYN. And she told me that I was going to cause more trouble for women because this is like basic standard care and I'm being redundant. And I'm like, in some areas, this is not basic standard care. I'm so glad that you treat your patients like royalty after something like this happens, but not every woman gets that experience from her standard American medical doctor. Like that's, that's not a thing. And I'm not doing this to cause harm. I'm not doing this. Like it's so the opposite, but yeah. Um, when a lot of people lay eyes on one thing at a time, they're not all going to have like the same great praise or ideas about it. So that's another thing, um, in sharing online and in being vulnerable, I've really sort of had to put a wall up and remind myself, why do I post about this? Why do I continue to share about this? Because I've, I mean, the, the DMs and the comments have not always been like, thank you so much. This is so great. Right. And those, but the thing is like, especially with that doctor or holistic human that you're talking about, you aren't attacking her. 
And so for her to feel like you are attacking her is something that she needs to get over. You are educating women in general on what to ask. If their doctor already does those things that you're educating them on, then that's amazing. But if they don't, they at least know what to ask and what to look for and what to do in this situation where they wouldn't have had this education if it wasn't for you. So to me, having those people that one, you're always going to get hate comments because I mean, it's the internet, but like to have people like that come at you and say those things that just makes me sad. Instead of her saying, I'm really sorry for your loss. I'm really sorry for the care that you got. She went the other direction and she was like, you're wrong for doing this. You're going to cause an uproar and confusion. And to me, that breaks my heart in the sense of the internet just sucks. And going back to, but how many good comments did you get from it? How much love did you get from it? Yeah. Share. I always get like my heart breaks and then I'm like, it's just a good reminder of why I do this. When women from years ago, like they had miscarriages 30 years ago and they're like, I didn't even tell my husband about this, you know, and, and, and they're like, I really could have used something like this. That's always makes me feel good. So pick me up. Okay. So let's talk about that. Uh, the sympathy cards that you just launched and how your response has been. I know that you, you posted a reel of you going into the store to see, get a card that was specific to that. And I have had humans in my life that have gone through this and truly like people that haven't experienced it, or they have healthy children, they have healthy pregnancies, they feel guilty and they just don't know what to say. So walk us through that process of why you felt the need to create this and then how the response has been since you've launched. Yeah. Well, I love cards and I love snail mail. Um, but I forgot before the greeting cards came, I wrote two grief guides and those are on my website. Um, and it really goes back to what I desperately needed from the people in my life. And I did not get, and I'm like, man, infertility really could have destroyed my marriage. Infertility has put a huge roadblock between me and my mother's relationship because she doesn't know how she's a big helper. That's her love language. And she had no idea how to help me. And so I'm like, okay, what did 2017 Bailey need that 2023 Bailey could offer now that I have this experience and I know what to expect sort of a thing. So I wrote the grief guides for a woman and then for a friend of a friend. You just sort of read through it and it'll teach you what to say, what not to say, what gifts to give, what not to give, all that sort of thing. So that came first. And then the greeting cards I've been sitting on for about a year. Um, I knew being a writer and everything, I had the sentiments for the inside of the card. I've had that for over a year probably. But I was really struggling with like what to put. You can't sell a blank white card. And I was really struggling with what to put on the cover. And finally, I'm just like, you know, I used to paint. I used to just call, I am no artist by any means. But I'm like, I used to like drink wine and dabble in painting. Maybe I can do that again without the wine. And so I just started painting and it took me about six months to, you know, get something halfway decent. Yeah, I just put it on the cover and went for it. And the response has been super, super great. I actually have a few orders to fill before we get our day started today and put them in the mail. Um, But it's just, again, one of those things 
there's cards for like when your dog dies or not that that's insignificant or when um, you lose your job. Like we have all these niche things for sympathy and people know exactly what to say when you get laid off, right? But there's no placeholder or nothing to give in terms of like, not even losing a baby with miscarriage, but just trying and and failing a round of IVF or IUI. Like there's one for that as well. And I'm just like, I can't stomach the idea of another woman having loss or heartache and her people turn their backs, not meaning to, but they just turn their backs because they don't know what to say and they don't want to say anything wrong. I just can't. I can't stomach that. So I just keep making stuff. Yeah. And I, well, I want to just like say and give kudos to this, that like in life, we don't know what is our plan and we don't know what the purpose of our life really is until it's like slaps us in the face. And for you to take something that is so sad and that sucks so much that has happened to you over and over and over and said, you know what, instead of me living in this pain alone, I want to go out and help other women and help other people help those women that are going through this. And I just, I think that's admirable. And I think that that is something that takes like a really strong person to have strength within themselves because it is a vulnerable topic. It is a topic that is not talked about. It is a topic that people are like, Ooh, I don't, that's just weird. I'm not going to bring that to the internet. When in reality, Mm -hmm. this is the stuff that people need to hear and and talk about. And so I give you grace and kudos and a big hug because I've never met you in person, but we're doing this. it's so weird. But like for doing this in a sense of like, you were able to tell yourself, like, I'm going to get through this. This sucks. I, I really don't know what other words to say besides sucks, but this sucks, but I want to help women that I can help. And this is what God wants me to do. And I think that is just freaking amazing. Thank for you. you. My question to you though, is this, and you can like void or we can not talk about this, but what transitioned you? I want to talk about Sam. I want to talk about what got you to that point. And because there's a lot of women that I talk to and, um, that have gone through what you've gone through. And then I'm like, I say the word adoption. And then like, I get my head bit off. Uh-huh. And so I'm just like, okay, what do you say? Yep. Because all I want to do is love you and be there for you and like ask the questions that like people might not want to ask you. So what was the turning point from you saying, you know, like, I want my own child. Mm -hmm. I want to marry him or her and deliver them to know now I see God wants me to adopt a child. So how was that transition for you? Oh, it was rough. It was rough, Shelby. Um, Falling on my face in prayer over and over and over again. And telling the Lord no over and over and over again, which I would say I don't recommend, but he is such a gracious and gentle and loving parent. Like we, if you just sit with that idea that we have a heavenly father who, I mean, gentle parenting, get out of town. You know what I mean? Like he is just such a gracious and patient, merciful father. Um, that is lovingly still taking you by the hand, even when you tell him no for three straight years. 
on something like adoption. And I don't think I ever bit anybody's head off, but I will say this. When you talk to a woman who's going through infertility, she is grieving so much, so much, whether she has lost a bucket of money because this shit is expensive. Um, she's lost a lot of money, a lot of laughter with her husband and a lot of whether she's lost a baby or not, a whole lot of dreams um, of what she thought her life was going to look like or how easy she thought her journey would be or how quickly or how much she deserved motherhood before Bethany down the street deserved it. You know what I'm saying? Like there's yeah. so much, it's just a constant onion that you're peeling back all these layers. And so when people throw out the idea of adoption, number one, she's already considered it and she's probably already shut it down right. um, at, at a certain point. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's the way a lot of people say like, oh, just adopt or just have a surrogate or just have a gestational carrier or whoever. Um, it's not a just anything. There right. is money involved. There is time. There are, in some cases, attorneys and court fees and legal fees and the what ifs when you're dealing with um, birth families, there's so many what ifs and it's a very tangled web. Um, but I felt that the Lord was pulling us towards adoption for probably for about two or three years before Samuel came home. Um, and it was a big red flag for me in my prayer life. I'm like, nope, we're not going to discuss it. I'm not going to go there. Like, thank you, but no, thank you. Heavenly yeah. father. I don't think you know what you're doing on this one, but thanks anyways. Um, and so I just kept having this vision and this gentle voice tell me just do the paperwork, just do it. And I'll send you your child. And so we did paperwork and my husband, who um, is a man of few words and never has dreams. I dream probably every night, every other night, like I can never have restful sleep. I always dream something. Sometimes they're meaningless. Sometimes they are like very prophetic. And so, and then my husband started being like, Hey, I had a dream last night that we adopted a son. And I was like, say more about that because I did too. So, right yeah. And so just really weird stuff started to happen. And, um, the Lord was faithful and we did the paperwork. And like I said, three weeks after our sixth miscarriage, this little one-year-old waddled through our door. And the moment I laid eyes on him, I went, you are who I've been waiting for. You are the thing in this dream. You're the, you're the thing. You're the purpose that God has been leading us to. And it was so painful. And, it, but you know what, when people talk about stuff like this, they're like, oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it again. Shelby, I would, I would chase that boy to the ends of the earth a million times over to find him all over again. Oh, oh my God. He's my baby. I wish we were in person so I could hug you because like, geez, Louise, how old is he now? He just turned four. Um, and he is hilarious. We laugh all the time. Um, he's, he's just a sweet, funny, very curious, very reflective, shy, timid, 
he's, you know, I look at all these other moms and they're like, oh my gosh, my little boy is so wild and he's already broken seven bones and he goes missing. And I find out that he's on the roof and I'm like, that must be so interesting. My four-year-old is my shadow. He's my husband's shadow. He's very reflective, like very much dipping a toe in the pool, not jumping in first, but he just wants to figure everything out before he does it. Yeah. But he's precious. So I love that. I I just basically what I heard from all that is for years, you were like, no God, but God was saying, I got you. He, yeah, 100%. He had us in his hands and it's the best of the best. Do I wish infertility on anyone? No. Do I wish God would maybe rewrite the end of our story? Yes, because I'm tired, Shelby. I just turned 34 and I've been dealing with this since I was 27. I'm tired. My body is tired. I had surgery in June. Today is November 1st and I feel like I'm just now recovering. Um, You know, and all these people who are like, oh, I prayed for years for a baby and I finally had one at 46. I'm like, that sounds miserable, girl. I don't want to do, <laughs> I don't. Um, it's just because I've been dealing with it for so long at this point. I'm exhausted. Um, but the fact that we have our son who is our world is amazing. Um, and then, yeah, I, God does have an amazing plan. He had the the best, the absolute best for us. And he did, and he gave it to us in our child. But it's still, it's still rough. I about imagine, I was just... I I wanted, I knew that you adopted him, but I know you don't show him. So what is the, what is the, um, I guess, why? Like, do you feel like you're just protecting him from the world of social? I just like to know, cause I think this, I think social media is scary as heck for, to have when you have children, but at the same yeah. time, I mean, obviously y'all see my kids, but I was yeah. just curious. I'm going to let you talk. I got to plug this in. Okay. But keep going. Yeah, so we, it was a slow progression thing of, you know, do we want to show our kids on the internet? And then I just started considering what it would have been like for my parents to show me on the internet. And some people, I'm sorry, some parents take it way too far, showing their kids on the toilet, showing their kids in the bath, showing their kids how to melt down showing their kids getting in trouble or shaming them. And they think they're being funny because their video is going to go viral. It makes my stomach turn because I tell you what, in 1997, if I'd pulled something and my parents put it out on the internet, like, I don't know what I would like. That just makes me so ill. I don't know. I've, I've become very passionate about that. And I didn't think I never, as much as I share on the internet about like my infertility and my journey and motherhood, I do share, I don't know, a lot about motherhood, but then there's so much that I don't share because I want to protect my son and his origin story. I mean, when you get into the nitty gritty of adoption, like there's just a lot underneath the surface. Um, and I, I've said this before on my podcast, like I, my biggest fear, I think, is when Sam is like, you know, 16 or 17. And if he would ever find a picture or something that I posted or something I've said online with my platform and he say, mom, I really wish you would have like, let me share that or not share that at all. Like 
And then I just think about like normal, you know, biological kids or people living everyday lives. Like, what are we going to do in 10, 15 years when your kids come around and be like, you posted that of me? Not only is that so embarrassing, but X, Y, Z, like your kids are going to be their fully developed own person one day. And I think we're just giving that away to strangers. And it's just kind of creepy sometimes. Um, So I don't know if it'll last forever. The older he gets, you know, he's four. He doesn't even know what the internet is right now. Um, So we just say very little, protect his cute face because he's adorable. I'm telling you what, he's beautiful. Um, and, and we'll, we'll see where it goes, but I don't know. I never, ever, ever thought that I would be one of those parents who puts emojis over their kid's face. And I think people think I'm being a little ridiculous and that's fine. But then also I listen to, um, a ton of parenting podcasts where, I mean, if you think about it in the year 2023, the original mommy bloggers from like 2008, 2009, their kids are like turning 21 now. So we have these adults who can speak on what it was like to have their childhood absolutely blasted on the World Wide Web, and they're not big fans of it. So I just think that's interesting. I think about, so two things, obviously, one, I do it for a living, so I showcase my kids, but I tell people this all the time is, you get a glimpse of my life. Like you don't know anything about me. Um, And number two is I cringe. There's so much about this topic that I want to talk about, but I cringe at when people share their kids where they go to school, their teachers. Like, I'm like, you literally just gave Mm -hmm. a pedophile on a silver platter where your kids go to school, their name, their age, what teacher they have. You're Mm -hmm. showcasing them too much. Yes, I show like recaps of like our life and like what we do. And like the other day I put on our stories of us going to global wildlife and you know what? I don't regret it in the sense of like, it's memories for me. Um, and there's a lot of things that I keep sacred for us. Like sometimes I don't even post about their birthday. I just like, let it be. We might have one photo, but like these moms that feel like they have to do this elaborate, like my kid just turned one and I just had a Pinterest party. That's just not me. Kudos to them, but Mm-hmm. It's safety hazards to the sense of like for my business, I love social media and what it can do for a business and a branding to get the word out for what we're working for. But I hate it for kids because it steals their childhood. It steals their identity. It's making them something that they're not yet because they haven't evolved. I watched this interview. It was like a short clip. I, w- I hope I can find like the whole thing because I keep referencing it in the last like two weeks. It's Matthew McConaughey. He's on some talk show and he says his kids don't have social media. And he's not letting them have social media until they're at an age where their identity, they have already figured out their identity to the sense of he doesn't want them to wake up in the morning and be like, I have to post on the internet or I have to share this to feel valid that I'm going surfing or I'm going swimming or like, I don't know exactly what he said, but like, it's in the sense of like, kid, I couldn't imagine being the age of high schoolers or college kids or people that have the internet right now at the capacity that they do. Because when Instagram was formed, I thought like I went back and looked at my first ever photo and I was like, it was like the worst photo with me and one of my friends. And it was just like us laughing, I think on the couch. And I was like, we didn't think it was going to go anywhere, but I mean, it wasn't bad, but like now you get scrutinized for everything. There's like, bullying. there's all this stuff. So like, to savor your kids 
childhood and then back up into adulthood is something special. And you see this, these bloggers and there's nothing wrong with it. Like, I think that their, their, their parents. And I tell my kids this all the time. Well, so-and-so's doing this. I was like, well, I'm your parent. They Correct. Um, and so we're not going to do that, but if that's what they need to do and they want to do, and they don't see anything wrong with it, then that is fine for me. But there's boundaries that I've set, obviously that you've set. So I just wanted to, you know, ask your opinion on why, because I've seen your pictures and that's fine. I respect your privacy in the sense of like, screw the people that think you're being ridiculous. You're, you are protecting your child. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, you know, we've thought about, I I don't know, like I just, as soon as I think like, well, what's the harm in sharing one picture? I'm like, no, you know what? We're not going to do this. (laughs) I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I've also heard. I don't know. I've heard this several times and I can't remember where the source is from, but the day you give your kid a cell phone with access to the internet is the day that their childhood ends. So as a parent, you need to be ready. And I've seen it so much recently with friends of mine who are a little bit older. So their children are a little bit older, 11, 12, 13. You give that kid a phone, they're done. They're done. They have access to the internet. They're done playing make-believe. They're done having an imagination. And I grew up out in the country, like on a lake, barefoot in the backwoods. Um, I I think it's so rare to find kids who do that now and who grow up that way now. And then also I've considered this just observing, you know, the internet and our Instagram platforms and TikTok, it's, it's like 3%, right, of your real life, but it's absolutely what you want us to see. But if your content, if you lost 50% of your content because you stopped posting your kids, you're posting your kids too much. Oh, God, yes. Like if you had, if you lost like brand deals because of like bows and clothes and little boots and shoes, if you lost 50% of your stuff because you stopped posting your kids, I think it's, that, that should be a little bit of a red flag. I just, oh, the internet freaks, freaks me out. But I do want to pivot and talk about the internet for a moment. Let's do it. In your moment of like, holy shit, what's happening now? When you did that video, girl, you thought I was not going to bring this up at all. Like what? No, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Y'all. Okay. So I, the thing is like, it's so funny how TikTok works because we posted a Gen Z video too when the girls were asking. Ours was so long, but it was like so like we actually had them ask us the like tell us the words, and then me and Heather tried to figure it out. And I was like, I feel like okay. I got dumber. that. Yeah, I felt like I got dumber straight up. We did a second round, and I was like, I'm not posting this. This I literally feel like stupid. But she posted a video, y'all, of Gen Z words, right? No, it wasn't even words. It was just like the difference between millennials and Gen Zers, like how they dress, what they say, what their dating life is like, how they would approach a situation. Um, We talked about like Snapchat and Alex Earl. And we had a summer intern um, who was freshly 19. And so like she had just her 19, she was a baby. And um, just over the summer, like over the course of like two and a half months, I'm just like, what are you saying? What are those? What do those words mean? And like just how she dressed and no, not in a bad way, but I mean, she came in, this is how it started. She came in 
And I noticed that she was decked out in like high-end jewelry, name brand shoes, name brand purses. And I'm like, you know, after you get a little bit of a, a rapport with someone, I'm like, and what do your parents do? And she kind of like read into it and she was like, girl, this is DH gate. And I said, what is that? Yes. What is that? Yes. And, she like, and she said, you don't know what the gate is. And I was like, like a fence. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? And so she just gave me a full blown education. And I thought it was too funny, but I got ripped on the internet. First of all, when I posted, like I typed out my list, like I had like physical paper, like I typed out yeah. a list yeah. mm -hmm. of like the differences between, you know, millennials. I was born in 1989. This little girl was born when I was like a junior in high school. And so, you know, we're just going, which sounds insane, but we were just going through everything or I was going through the list. I thought 10 people would see it and four people would care. And I think I looked last week because it still makes my stomach turn. Like it makes me so nauseous. I think it's up to like 3.3 million views. It's insane. It, it is insane. But yes, like, the internet. I remember you texting me about it and you were like. Oh, yeah, it was it. on BuzzFeed. It was on the Daily Mail. It was on BuzzFeed. It was on Yahoo. Like all this. And I'm like, what is happening? And then the comments. I read a, a great deal of them and then I stopped reading them. But the internet, specifically TikTok, is where people just get mean. They're mean. They're mean and they're a little weird um, because I talk with my hands a lot. So you can see my hands in the video. And one girl commented, I love the shape of your nail beds. What? What? Like she likes the shape of my, my fingernails. And I'm like, girl. I don't even know. I don't even know what to say to that. And then people told me I looked like Adele or Blair from the original Gossip Girl. Oh my god, I can see that. <laughs> and then there were some other mean comments, like I'm every old. time that's mean, Adele or Blair. I finally take that as a compliment. Do you find that mean? Oh no, no, no. I mean that that's a lovely compliment. Um, okay. I don't, I don't see it, but that's a lovely compliment. And but you see. Yeah. Oh my gosh. People are like, I will never get this three minutes of my life back. I'm like, well then have better control of your thumb and scroll up. I didn't do anything. You're the one who sat here and watched the it whole thing. Like if you didn't yeah. like it, you wouldn't stay for the whole video. Yeah. I just go ahead. There was one comment. It was clearly from a Gen Zer. She was a young, young baby child. And she said, well, obviously you're a millennial. I can tell by your eyebrows. Shut up. I thought, okay. And then the next one, it was like a reply back to her. And she said, yeah, OMFG, elongate your eyebrows, please. And I'm like, this is just insane. This is absolutely insane that we're so critical of people. But also, I wanted, I did not respond to a single comment, I don't think. But I wanted to look at that comment where she was like, OMFG, elongate your brows, please. I'm like, girl, you're 17. I am 34. Do you not think, I've been wearing makeup at this point for about 20 years. 
elongating anything on my face. Like, do you not think I've already done this and we've tried and it just doesn't work with my facial structure? Do you not think we've already like tried it? Yeah, I've tried it. I've tried it all. Um, Just the internet and the comments. Like, it's just, it is wild. It is wild. And going viral is not as fun as it sounds. It's just not. But if anybody wow. needs a sugar daddy. So I just said that. Well, if anybody needs a sugar daddy, I've got plenty to hook you up with. I mean, you get like all the weird messages about like, um, you're beautiful. I bet your feet are even prettier. But- <laughs> yeah. So a little if, all fails, if all else fails and your morals go out the window, you could start an OnlyFans account. You could literally sell your feet. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That if the economy keeps going the way it is, that's not off the table. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, yeah, just the internet is insane. Insane. And no, going viral is not fun. It's not fun. Well, because <clears throat> sometimes when you go viral, you're going viral, but you still get like, it's not like... Like, what did you get out of it? Please tell me what you got out of that. A million dollars, don't you know? Um, Except like getting your first publication on something that you probably are like, oh, cool. I wish you had to go on like something different. I'm like 3.3 million views. Do you know what that would have done to me, a self-published author, if it had been for my book or my grief guides or any of my infertility content? How incredible would that have been for me? But no, no, we were just talking about the difference between Alex Earl and Sophia Ritchie. And that's what the internet will, you know. Because they're all obsessed with Alex Earl. And I'm just like. Yeah, yeah. So, no, it's just not fun. People are so critical. Um, Your phone blows up and then you have to figure out how to, like, turn off all your notifications. Um, My mother, all of her coworkers were texting her, like, I see Bailey on the news. That's weird. Um, and then again, like the weird DMs of like, can I see your feet? Do you mail out inappropriate items to strangers across the country? No, I don't. Please leave me alone. You're never going to see my feet. Go to church. Get off of the internet. Like, stop it. Stop it. it stop. And, yeah. So, no, I think people, you know, look at like going viral as like this ultimate goal, right? For sharing your content. But whatever... Shelby, that video was like throwing a fart into the wind, girl. Like it was just on a whim. And then the algorithm decides to blast it into oblivion and you have zero control over it. And it's so not your platform, right? Like it's not the thing that you, you just got to roll with it, whatever. TikTok is, I used to love it. And now I'm just like, you know. I, uh, let me rephrase. I like it if it works for you. Like, I feel like it's better for, I mean, I've met you on it and I have a client that is still with me and I think we're going on like two years now, but that's great. It's just like, even if you do get followers, like your followers aren't really seeing your content and always goes out to a stranger. So you're not really building that trust that you do on Instagram where now Instagram is always, it really has always been my jam. I just feel like I've made such good connections on Instagram. And I know you said that earlier too, that Instagram is just so laid back in a sense of like, TikTok is just weird people. I'd go live and there was so many comments and I was like, ew, like, yeah, not for you. Like, please just go away. No, 
I will say it's a life-changing app. I mean, I've seen people who have gotten podcast deals and book deals just, you know, I mean, you think of all those creators who've just really knocked it out of the park, but they've stayed consistent. And one thing I haven't posted as much in 2023, which is so weird. Except because one viral video you did. But other than that, yeah. One, yeah, that one video that I did um, that just, I mean, I, like I said, 3.3 million people, which is makes me nauseous to think about. But as far as like my platform, my life, my Instagram stories, I haven't really done that much this year. And like, I kind of knew going into 2023, I was so burnt out from the absolute knuckles to the grindstone hustle from 2021 and 2022, all the while finalizing an adoption and healing and trying to figure out like how to rebalance my hormones and all this stuff. I was just done. Like I used to do all of 2021 and 2022. I did Instagram polls every single Sunday and I would answer hundreds of DMs and get all this feedback from women on like medical care or how infertility has affected their marriage or what's the worst dumbest thing that someone has said to you about not having kids. Um, and we, I built an amazing community and I love Instagram for that, but I was just tired. Like I'm still so tired. Like it, now, if you look at my phone, like a content calendar coming up, I don't have anything. I got nothing because I'm just worn slap out. And I think that it's just like your, your next phase of life, like where you have to take a step back and say, okay, what do I truly want from the internet? You know what I mean? And focusing on one, your mental health, because I'll say social media really Fs with your mental health. Um, Even as adults, like I had this conversation with someone yesterday. I was like, even as a 33 year old adult, like you're, you fall into the comparison trap. You see Mm -hmm. the perfect of like other people when in reality, even though we know we both said it, I said it before and you just said it, that you're really just seeing what people want you to see of their life. You don't know if their marriage is good. You don't know if they're happy. You don't know if they're actually successful. They could have a hundred thousand followers and make zero money off of it. They could have gone viral one time and then got all these followers that don't buy from them or they didn't build a community. And so you are seeing that vanity metric where I deal with clients all the time that want certain things. I'm like, why? And it's a mental thing. That's like, you don't in your head, you feel like you reach a certain status when you get that many followers or that many views or this much if you're posting and you're sharing all the things when in reality, it doesn't matter if you're building a community and you love what you're doing and you feel mentally okay and stable to do it, then do it. If you're tired, then take a freaking break. People are just so scared to take that break that they need in order to heal from the grind that you've done for two freaking years. And then the grind that you had before that of trying to have a freaking baby. So your body is like, chill out because mm-hmm. I'm tired. Yeah. And so what people don't do is they don't give themselves grace because they see all these other people that are just quote unquote successful, but they may not be. So like, make sure you take a step back and like who you envy. But for you, I say, take a break. Take yeah. a break. If you're ready to get back at it, then do it in 2024. Take a break for the next two months and just be like, God, tell me what my next next journey is and tell me I do that all the time and I he hasn't answered me yet so I'm like I guess I'm still in a season of hush and reflect and heal and be quiet I mean I've we've gone back to therapy we're trying to get 
the courage, because it does take a lot of courage to try again for a family, um, to add to your family after so much loss. Um, so yeah, and not everything. I really had to come to a place, a healthy place of, I could not keep making my heartache content. Yeah. There's a, there's a line, a very thin line between vulnerability and having that me too moment, but then also like just giving yourself a second to see how you feel about what's going on in your life before you hit share. Yeah. And if you feel like earlier you were talking about how sometimes you went to share Sam and and you were like, nope, never mind. Yeah. No. I had those moments where I craft an Instagram post or I go to post a story and I just delete it mm-hmm. because I'm just like, I feel in my gut, I don't need to share this. And so I don't, or I don't yep. want to put the pressure on myself to share it when I don't. So anything I share, I feel like I should share. So like I've gotten control over what I share and what I don't because I want to feel that it's right to share versus I need to share because I have to share. No, I'm good. So I think that that's huge too. So I loved having you today. This is so good. I love the vulnerability. I love that you were able to just kind of open up and tell us all the things. It's a little bit different, obviously, than what we um, typically talk, talk about on here, but I love it because like you're walking in your freaking purpose and you're still building this amazing brand based on experiences that you unfortunate experiences that you've gone through but you're willing to be vulnerable and you know tell your story to the world and cry about it and scream and hit things and be angry but also loving and welcoming at the same time and I'm honored to know you and to love you and hopefully one day to give you a big ass hug yes way longer than normal people hug but I just I'm so grateful for you, Bailey. So thank you. I'm so thankful for you. Thank you so much for answering my DM that one time. Absolutely. All right, guys. (laughs) Well, what we'll do is I'll have Jonah put everything in the show notes for her book, her miscarriage guide, her viral TikTok, her empathy cards, like all those things to get to know who Bailey Henry is because she's amazing. If you know someone that has gone through such terrible times trying to start a family um, or has um, had a miscarriage, please check her website out. DM her. She's the kindest soul ever. She is there to talk to you and um, be an advocate for you. So thank you all for listening. And until next time, let's freaking get it. Thank you so much.